Welcome to Dream Gardens, where we talk up the children's books we love. My name is Jody Lima, and on this twice-monthly podcast, hosted on the first and third Monday of each month, I interview other kids' books enthusiasts about their own favorite children's books. Today, I'm going to be interviewing Sheetal Sheth. Sheetal is an actress, producer, and activist, and she's also author of the children's book, Always Anjali. Uh, We're going to be talking about that book and some of Anjali's other future adventures, as well as her favorite book for young readers, which is the YA verse novel, The Girl and the Goddess, Stories and Poems of Divine Wisdom by Nikita Gill. Uh, But first, before we get to that, I want to remind you about my ongoing Halloween shorts contest, uh, which already started on September 6th. Uh, So again, for this contest, I want you to send me your best Halloween story for children. I will read all the stories submitted and determine what I consider the best and most Halloweenish story. If your story is picked, not only will you win a signed copy of my middle grade novel Hushabye, but I will also read your story on my October 18th Dream Gardens podcast and post it on my podcast website for everyone to read. So here are the rules. First, write a Halloween story for kids. Uh, the story can be scary or funny or sad or sweet or silly or all of those at the same time. Whatever tone you want to take, it should have something to do with Halloween, and it should be something you could read to kids. I don't have a specific age range in mind, so write your story with whatever younger audience you would like to reach. Uh, Second thing is the story should be no more than 250 words. That's not a lot, but I know you can do it. Third, submit the story on my contact page on my podcast website, jleemott.com. You should include your name and email in the appropriate fields. In the subject field, just type Halloween Shorts and then copy your story along with the story title in the message field. Number four, the deadline for submissions is October 9th, 2021 at 12 a.m. midnight Eastern Time. And the winner will be announced on my podcast on October 18th this year at 10 a.m. Eastern as well as on Twitter. I will contact the winner in advance of that date to let them know and to request an address to send out that signed copy of Hushabai. Now, if you have any questions about any of this, uh, the best way to reach me is to send me a direct message through my Twitter account, which is at DreamGardensJLM. Now, if you didn't catch everything I just said, you can just go to my website, jleemott.com, and there is a page with all the instructions. And I'm also posting the contest instructions on my author page as well, uh, jodylemott.com. And once again, I'm looking forward to all of your spooky stories. My guest today is Sheetal Sheth. Sheetal is an actress, producer, and activist, and she's also author of the children's books Always Anjali. Her latest book is another adventure with Anjali called Bravo Anjali, which will be available on September 21st. You can find information about Sheetal at sheetalsheth.com. Thank you for joining me today, Sheetal. Thank you for having me. Can you talk a little bit about where this character uh, came from? Because this is the second book, correct, that you've uh, uh, Mm -hmm. written for her. So uh, where where did she come from? What was the sort of the inspiration for her? Well, you know, when I first started thinking about it, it came from really just when I was expecting my first child over seven years ago, and I was reading the kids lit that was out there and saw a huge hole in the narratives and the representation, you know, something that we talk about so effortlessly now was not the case as you know, and it was only eight years ago, it was very, very different. 
And the narratives that I found that centered, you know, brown kids were very insensitive, inaccurate, or just plain, it's like just wrong in so many ways. And so I really thought about, you know, putting something out there. And and, and she really came from this place of wanting, of what, what did I want out there? What did I wish I had when I was growing up? What do I want my kids to have, you know, as they grow up? And make her, you know, like every other kid, you know, I found that often when you see narratives of kids of color, they're centered around extraordinary events. And I always joke that, you know, we also play instruments and have pets and have dinner with our parents and also go to school. You know, we don't just have religious holidays and, you know, whatever, you know, and so I really just wanted to create a character that was authentic, that is very much me, my kids, all the people that I know growing up, um, doing everyday things, you know, slice of life. Because I feel like when you only have narratives about extraordinary events, it's very tokenized and, and makes us feel like the other. And it's just, and I wanted to do something to hopefully counter that. I've read the the latest book, uh, uh, Bravo Anjali, which I enjoyed. Oh, good. Yeah, I enjoyed it very much. Now, I haven't read the first book yet. Can you talk a little bit first? Uh, how do we meet her first? Uh, what what sort yeah. of what happens to her in that first book? Right. So we meet her on her birthday when she's turning seven, and she's super excited. She finally gets the bike that she's wanted, 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 and her and her best friends go to the school carnival. And they want to get matching license plates for their bikes. And her and her friends find their names very easily. And, of course, Anjali can't. And not only that she can't, you know, she gets make, made fun of for it and bullied in the moment. And so she goes home and demands to change her name, tells her parents that she hates her name, wants nothing to do with it. It's only just been something that's been holding her back her whole life you know, bursts into tears, goes to her room when her parents say you're not changing your name. And then her mom comes and talks to her and tells her um, what her name means, why they gave her her name, you know, to be different is to be marvelous is a quote from the book that her mom tells her. And Anjali kind of is like, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, in the night she wakes up and has her own kind of epiphany and you see her working and you see this, she's creating her own license plate and she gets to school and she meets her friends who actually, they also had made her one just like theirs. And they kind of hold them side by side and Anjali and everybody realizes actually the one that Anjali made that is like nobody else's that reflects who she is, that is so unique is so much cooler. Like, why would you want something that everybody else has? <laughs> and, and so she's kind of has, has so much joy in the moment. And then she runs into the bully after who again, starts making fun of her. And finally, in that moment, she has uh, the courage to stand up to him for the first time and says, you know, you, I'm not going to give too much away, but you'll see what she says in the book. And then you see her kind of piecing out, living the rest of her life which she has so much to look forward to <laughs> and vows to always be Anjali. So that's why the title is always Anjali. It's one of those stories that's, uh, that's uh, simple. It seems like a small thing, but these are like very big moment in it, big moments oh. in a child's life. Oh my God. So much. I mean, the thing, when it comes to someone's name and it's something that I talk about a lot, I mean, I know this when I was growing up, I always knew when the teacher was about to say my name because there was a pause and that like, like worried look on their face 
And anyone that has a name that's unfamiliar in the world that they're living in can ex- knows that, that we all relate, you know, and we're often given nicknames that we never asked for. Some of our teachers still never learned how to pronounce their names properly. And it's such a small and huge thing for a child to feel valued and seen. Like take the time to say the names correctly and ask them how they want to be identified. I mean, all these things, there's studies about this, about what, what, it, what it does to kids when they don't have that, you know? And so that, that it's so important. Um, and I talk about it all the time, which is why I think always Anjali is such a great back to school book. Cause it's a great entry point to do in classrooms. And then everyone introduce themselves and tell everybody something about themselves that they might not know, you know, and it's a really great way to kind of break the ice. And uh, what sort of uh, things are happening now with Anjali in this latest book, Bravo Anjali? Yes. So in Bravo Anjali, you know, I really wanted to, so in general, when I write books, I also, one of my things is that I feel like a lot of books out there are, are not talking to the kids at the level at which they want to be talked to. And I think that kids want to talk about real things and I know that, and they want in, I mean, they're, they're living through really difficult times. They're being literally gunned down in their schools. And so when I hear publishers and people say, Oh, it's just too, too heavy for them. Like, really? Have you, do you know what they're dealing with on a regular basis? And so I, I fully believe that there's nothing you can't talk to your kids about, obviously in the right um, appropriate language. And so I like to find ways to layer in larger kind of themes within kind of an accessible fun book. And so in this book, you know, Anjali deals with being the only girl in the room. And it really came from me. You know, I had a different book in mind when we were kind of, we knew the book did so well, we wanted to do a series and I had a different idea, but then I was living through the height of the Me Too movement and I was seeing what was happening during the 2016 election with Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. And I kept thinking, you know, that we've got to get to our kids early. We cannot have more Brett Kavanaugh's in the world. We cannot have people who don't know how to handle these things. And so I thought, is there a way to do this in kids in kids speak? And so that's where Bravo and I changed everything. And I knew, you know, I always put Easter eggs in the book. And at the end of the first book, Anjali is playing the tabla, which is a traditionally male dominated instrument. And I thought, that's it. And so that was my entry point. I said, she's going to play the tabla. She's going to be the only girl in the class, which is highly likely. She will be the best. And what happens when she is, you know, and so that's really the inspiration of the book for all of us to kind of how many times have we not been our best or lived up to our potential because we're worried about other people around us, you know? And so the book is really about how she comes to accept her excellence and she learns to never dim her light. And, you know, I'll read one part of it because it's the um, page where it all kind of culminates after. So she starts to mess up on purpose because she doesn't like that the boys are kind of teasing her about being so good and then there's a contest and she has to decide if she's gonna be in it and do her best and after a lot after after we go through a bit of a journey we get to the point where she's decided that she is gonna be her best and this is the page where she it starts with this it was the day of the recital and the hall was buzzing Anjali was in the bathroom trying to calm her nerves She had decided that she may not win the contest, but she was going to do her very best. She thought about the first time she ever saw someone playing tabla. 
His hands and the beautiful sounds he was creating had mesmerized her so much, she had come home and made her own tabla set out of old yogurt containers. She wasn't going to let anyone make her feel bad for being good at something, especially something she loved as much as tabla. She had dreamed of a moment like this. She reviewed the compositions in her mind and looked at herself in the mirror. I can do this. And so that's the part in the book where she kind of shifts and realizes that she should never dim her light. And, you know, I can, I'm sure you can imagine what happened <laughs> <laughs> for those who haven't read the book. Well, it's interesting. I, I, I don't want to say how the book ends, but there's, there's one little uh, bit at the end where there's another little girl who uh, mm-hmm. shows up and, and and becomes inspired basically by this, yeah. this story, and I thought that was very nice. So it's not it's a, a sort of an, an idea that this is uh, this is a, a something that will continue on uh, with others as well. Sort of it's it's, a, it's it's just the start of a story rather than just the end of the story. Yes, and I think that's it. You know, she Anjali says. You know, it's not going to give away too much. But at the end of the book, she does say, we can do anything we want, little one, anything at all. And as simple as those words are, the fact of the matter is, that's not what most people feel, especially young girls, you know. And so it's something really profound in a lot of people's lives. And so I think we could never say it enough. When you first started uh, writing a children's book, um, did you feel like, you know, was it a daunting process or did it feel just sort of come naturally to you? Or or what was that first experience like when you decided you were going to write children's books? Well, I, you know, it was daunting. I didn't know where this would take me. Um, I knew that I wanted to put something out there. You know, I am a storyteller. I really think of myself as someone who tells stories. You know, I've been an actress for over 20 years, a producer. And so I do kind of live in that world. But obviously writing children's books is its own medium. But that being said, I've also been it's not completely out of the blue. I have been working with children and have a minor in education, like literally my whole life and have, have done so many programs where I'm teaching, creating curriculums. I mean, literally since I was like seven years old. Um, and so, and continue to do so. So I, I know kids, I really do. And I know the world. And so it was really about honestly, revising, 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 you know, the hardest part, for me is getting that first draft out because it's always so bad. And then just knowing that's part of the process. And, you know, for the, for always actually my very first book, I didn't even share it with anyone for probably a year because I wasn't even sure I wanted to. And I was like, I don't know if it's good. Uh, We'll see, you know, and then I shared it with a few people who gave me notes and it went through so many revisions before we even submitted it anywhere. So it's, it was quite a process now because I do it so much. Now I, I, I realize it's such joy for me and I have many, many books coming out, you know, at different points with different publishers. Um, I have a different process and it's easier, not easier in the sense of like the work, but I, I feel like I have a structure that I know works for me because I've done it now so many times. I was curious because you had had worked as an actress. I'm wondering, was there anything about that particular sort of uh, creative process that you brought into writing the book and creating characters or different characters that you felt uh, helped you in any way? Oh, my God, so much. I mean, everything. First of all, the character work that I do as an actress, 
um, it helps me so much in creating all the characters in my book. You know, there's so much character work that I am familiar in doing because I do it, you know, all the time with, with my other job. And then the other piece of it is, you know, this age group books, illustrated books are meant to be read out loud. And so the performative aspect of it is something that does come naturally to me. And so when I'm writing, I'm always reading the book out loud, whether it be to my own kids, to other kids, to myself, because there's a rhythm to be found in the writing for picture books. And when the rhythm is off, it, it doesn't work. And, and usually when I'm writing, I can solve what I'm bumping on by just reading out loud. Then I'll know, I'll be like, oh, that's what it is. That word isn't working. We have to change the word. We need to turn the page here, not there. You know, all of those things are so carefully thought out and placed in a, in a picture book because you need the rhythm and you need to feel what's going on and really place everything on the right pages. So all of that has, has very much been, you know, influenced by me being an actor and has helped me tremendously. Mm. Now, this is, like I said, this is the, the second book uh, featuring uh, Anjali. Uh, should we expect uh, more stories about her in the future? Yes. So the third book is already written and it's being illustrated right now. It's uh, going to come out next fall, barring any more pandemics and everything else that we're dealing with. And, you know, I've organized the books. I think people will start to realize this Easter egg as more books come out, but I've organized them with the alphabet. So always Anjali is first with the A, Bravo Anjali is second. The third book has a C mixed in the title. And so I hope we get to 26 books. I don't know, but um, I'd love to get there. <laughs> There's all sorts of stories to tell still. Yes. Oh, my gosh. There is infinite a number of stories to tell. Now, the book you picked as your own particular favorite uh, book for young readers is a, uh, a YA book called The Girl and the Goddess uh, by uh, yes. Nik uh, Nikita Gill. And this was published in uh, recently in 2020. Uh, for readers who are unfamiliar with it, and I have to say, uh, when you picked it, I had I was not familiar with it. This is the first time I had read it. Uh, so, and I, I, I liked it very much. Uh, but for other readers who have not heard of it or have not a chance to read it, you talk a little bit of what this book is. Yes. Well, first of all, Nikita Gill, I'm a huge fan of. I think she's an amazing, amazing writer. I discovered this book, The Girl and the Goddess, and loved it so much that then I bought all of her books, and they're all amazing. She's a poet. And she's a writer, but she really, her poetry, which she weaves in and out of all of her books is just so profound and wonderful and phrases. When we talk about that rhythm and the phrasing, I think she does it so wonderfully. This particular book is, follows a young girl named Paro, who's kind of, it's a coming of age story where we see her go through childhood, middle school, high school, and then as an adult. And she, you see the book follows her and her experiences where, and, and a lot of it is told through poetry. And then it's intertwined with mythology that Nikita, you know, kind of puts her own spin on. She takes stories that we've all been told and kind of shifts them in, in with a different lens. And I just think it's so brilliant and wonderful. And I recommend it so high. I mean, I love giving this book as a gift because I just think it should be like a manifesto. <laughs> And, and Pearl, you know, she is the, it's her story and she tells a story. So what is it about her in particular as a character that just um, makes her so compelling that makes you want to just find out, you know, what's going on with her and what she's thinking about and uh, just listen to her talk about her life? Yeah, I mean, I think she she talks about it with such profound honesty and rawness. Um, it's really visceral 
she is, um, and, and, you know, we're all flawed, you know, it's, it's a really flawed, honest look at our, at, at our lives, you know, told from the perspective of someone who's trying to figure out who she is and her place in the world. And there's lots of people that she meets that, sh- that says, that say things to her. There's one line, let me find it. Um, one of her friends saying the book that she says, I want to create a work that invents a space rather than fills up a space that was already there. And that really resonated with me because I feel like that. And I feel, I hope that's what I'm doing with my work, whether it be as an actress, writer, author, all of those things. And that's, I think what we're all trying to find at the end of it, you know, that we put something out there that's meaningful, that matters and create something new because no one can tell a story like we can. You know, we talk about the archetypes that are in all the, the books. I think there's like five people have kind of identified, but, but, but there's how many books and how many movies and how many TV shows because the perspective and POV of those told from a different point of view make those so interesting and dynamic. And so I think Paro is a great example of that. Yeah, what's interesting, and the reason it's called The Girl and the Goddess is that these various key times uh, in her life, she's visited by these divinities who tell her stories. And they're important, even these stories which are not about about her, but are the stories about that um, deal with tangentially about what's going on in her life. And so what is it about these these visitations and these stories that are so important and just how Paro, you know, develops throughout the story. Well, for me, I'll tell you, having grown up hearing a lot of these mythological stories, you know, from South Asia, um, told very much kind of in a patriarchal male lens, it was really refreshing to read something that, you know, centered someone else (laughs) and applied it to her story in a way that they did and kind of gave permission for us to say what we wanted to say and question it and and also kind of take back the narrative that we want one thing that I love that Nikita talks about is this idea about love and prayer and magic and she says there are only two kinds of magic given to humans in the world one is love and the other is prayer and I was very struck by that through the writing, because I am not, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a religious person. And I've kind of been trying to figure out where I fall and the rest of it. And so to think about it in that way, because she is so faith based, and clearly has so much faith. And when you read this, to equate love and prayer as magic is so interesting in terms of the way you would look at that. And it's really helped me kind of take the, um, just the oppression off of religion for me in my life, you know, um, kind of creating my own narrative around it. I, I think it's interesting, too, and just the idea of stories. Sometimes we dismiss things as just stories, but stories can be very powerful and, and influential things, If and depending on how they're told, I think. So they can be very important things in a person's, um, uh, the way you look at things. Yes, absolutely. So this is also a book that deals with trauma of uh, many kinds, um, deals with you know, war and um, assault and the, just the day-to-day difficulties of being a young girl, dealing with bullies and body image and sexuality and family among all sorts of different things. What do you think this book has to tell the reader about living uh, with living th- and, and creating your life, you know, because and or despite these things or just dealing with them? Well, she has so many parts in the book, like the poems that she writes, I think that reflect on that. Some of them, I'll read you some of my favorites. 
Um, Events like these are the sparks that turn girls from forgotten festivals into wildfires and fireworks. Another one, rage is an ancient gift passed down from goddess to woman, but wielding it well is a talent few are given. If I do not control it, it will come at the cost of everyone I love, but to learn to carry it with grace will only be once I tame my own fire's roar. And I think there's just so much to take from those in the sense of, you know, I think often the narrative that's told, especially to women, not that we're the only ones who experience trauma, but there's, there's very much this idea of like, we have a place in our world and, you know, don't be a victim. Don't complain too much. Don't, you know, and it's like, we deal with so much on a regular basis that if you're not a woman, you'll never understand. You know, I constantly tell my husband, like when we leave our apartment, our experience in the world is completely different just because of our gender, you know, and, and we could say that for so many other groups as well, you know, uh, people who are dealing with, who are, who are traditionally marginalized. And so the feelings that we have about it, she gives permission to feel what we want to feel, you know, and be angry if we want to be angry, you know? And so we have every right to be. And I think that's so exciting and that gives you so much freedom. And I think it's healthier, frankly. <laughs> Um, so I just, I was really, it all very much resonated with me. It's okay to have feelings about things, no matter yes! what those the feelings are. Which by the way, even in, in Anjali, in Bravo Anjali, you know, in both, in all the books, like Anjali also has very big feelings. And in both of the books, and in, you'll see in the next, you'll continue, she processes her big feelings in the way that she wants. And it's also like that outburst that she has in Bravo Anjali, where she kind of is in the bathroom and everything comes out of her. You know, I, kids are, the kids need to do that. And often we'll be like, stop, don't like they, they, they would, some people would call it a tantrum. Some people would call it, you know, whatever they want to call it, but it's, but there's a reason, you know? And, and I think it's really important to remember that we need to help kids process their feelings. And so I think all of that, Nikita does amazingly in her book. Now you can say there, are like, there are certainly universal elements in, on Parastroy that uh, women from all backgrounds can relate to, but it's also a story of a girl in a specific time and place. I'm wondering if you think it's important to recognize both the universality of the story, but not to lose sight of, you know, of its individual, you know, it's a story of this young girl who went through the, the partition. And, and, and so it's about a specific event, too. I don't know if I'm explaining that right. No, no. I mean, it is important to give context to it. You know, the contextual piece of like where what's going on with her is important. But, you know, truthfully, and, and so those specific details obviously matter in her story. But this could have happened at, you know, her life is something that I think that's why I think people love Nikita's writing so much, because I think it could be anywhere. It could be any person living anywhere, you know, with their own specific circumstances. Now, you mentioned before, you know, that, you know, she, she is a poet. And so, you know, this is a, a book told in verse. And so and how she uses language is very important. So I'm wondering, what is it about how she uses words and images? And like you talked about the musicality of the words, and it's really part of the story. What does she do, I suppose, as a writer that other writers, even if you're not a poet yourself, you know, that you could take from uh, just as a, a writer trying to be a better writer? <laughs> Well, I, it's funny. I read stuff like this and I'm just like, okay, should I just stop? <laughs> because, I, but then I always realize like, I'm not a poet. I wish I could be a poet, but you, I love poetry so much. And I think 
that I think that's because a poet, that's the point. Like they're a poet because they're able to take something that we would just say kind of in our everyday language and find a way to describe, share just the words that they use, the way that they put them together, the rhythm around it. Like my brain doesn't work that way. And if it does, it's very poorly. (laughs) And so, but her way of kind of phrasing and taking words that have meant one thing to me my whole life, but then she finds whole new meaning or a point of view around it is what I think really strikes me the most. Uh, I would say that um, for children's books writers, in particular, uh, writers of picture books, I think, get closer to the idea of writing in poetry just because uh, you're trying to tell a story in a very compact form, form, and so every word really counts, and so you have to really think about, you know, uh, do I need to say this or this? You know, you're trying to say as much as possible in as few as words possible. So it's almost like poetry. That's right. No, you're right. That's true. I mean, I wouldn't, I, I, I agree with your saying in the sense of like, it's, people think they're easy and I'm like, okay, so try it. You know, it's, it's really not because you're right. You, you have to find the best perfect word to try to talk about some really, especially me, because I'm writing about bigger things. It's not easy, you know. I wouldn't call myself a poet, but I do think finding the right words is so important. And I and that's when I'm revising and editing, that's what I'm doing. I'm like, is there a better word for this? Is there a better way to say this? Is there a better phrase about this? And you're constantly just looking for that. Now, this is a, a, a why novel, and why novels are supposed to be generally for like older teens, but honestly, why novels are often read by younger children as well as older teens and adults, actually. Uh, do you think this book, because um, it deals with, you know, different stages, you know, from a young girl to a teenager uh, to a young woman, do you think this book would have different meetings for those sort of different ages? Because a lot of actually younger kids, you know, 10 and up will read YA as well. I could see them gravitating to something like this as well. I do. And I think that's great. You know, that's what you want. You want people to have whatever experience they're going to have. And they might read it again a few years later and have a completely different experience. And that's, I think, so amazing though that if your book can do that. I mean, I hope with my books, you know, because the themes of my books are bigger, let's say, you know, like, for lack of a better word. Um, I always say my books are up, you know, like I do school visits for fifth and sixth graders, too, because these books that I write have a way to talk about, like, say, we want to talk about Me Too, or we want to talk about bullying or racism. It offers an entry point into that, that makes it a little bit easier to get to that topic that we're not like dealing with like a whole novel or something that feels like you have to unpack a whole thing. It's much easier to get to those conversations sometimes with a text that's, you know, a picture book, but the themes of it are larger. And so, you know, obviously I'm not going to, the things that I say to a sixth grader is not going to be what I say to a first grader, but as they continue to read, they're going to get another layer of it. And I, that's what you would do with, with Nikita's book too. And I me too. I mean, I've read the book now two or three times and I get something completely different every time I read it. I think sometimes younger children like to read about uh, older characters too, to yeah. to try to both imagine and try to prepare themselves, I suppose, for when they uh, get to be that age. Well, old they, they, kids always like to read up. 
so it's just a thing. They like to watch older things. They're so, you know, they all want to be older when we keep telling them like this, you know, the youth is wasted on young, right? That phrase, because they all just are trying to, to be older and we're all just like, trust us, you don't. But try telling that to a five-year-old, you know? And so they just want to like do the thing that they feel is what the older kids are doing. And so they always want to read up. And I suppose adults read uh, these sort of books are younger children's books because we're still just trying to figure out our own lives. <laughs> We're trying to make sense of everything, I think. Mm. Now, I know you shared a little uh, part of the book. Is there any other part of the book that you'd like to share as well? Uh, let me see. I have a few other passages. Let me see if I can find one. There's uh, one more piece. Women and fire have so much in common. Once a flame catches on, it's impossible to destroy it. Even when the fire is ashes, some embers remain. And sometimes those embers become fires again. So those are just little snippets of what you have in store if you get the book. <laughs> uh, by the way, uh, besides this book, is there any other uh, book of hers that you would recommend or just anything? Yeah, they're all good. Um, she has, let me see, there's another one. She does like a revisionist of, of it's called, I think, Fierce Fairy Tales. Fierce Fairy Tales and Other Stories to Stir Your Soul, where she reimagines classic fairy tales. It's amazing. Then there's another one called Wild Embers, which is a book of poetry. Um, Your Soul is a River is an older one. But if you just look up Nikita, you'll see she's everything is wonderful. Uh, well, uh, Shital, thank you so much for taking time to talk to me both about um, Bravo Anjali and giving us something to look forward to and for uh, both, you know, introducing me to this uh, book and author, which, uh, you know, always nice to find somebody I've... I'm not familiar with because it's for whatever reason and, and, you know, somebody that I can start reading and for taking the time to talk to me about this book, The Girl and the Goddess today. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me and thank you for letting me bring in some of my favorites. You can find Sheetal's website at sheetalsheth.com. Thank you for joining me on Dream Gardens. The theme music titled All Together is provided courtesy of Purple Planet Music. You can visit them at www.purpleplanet.com. Podcast cover art was created through Canva, which can be found at www.canva.com. You can find the Dream Gardens podcast website at jleemott.com and my author website at jodyleemott.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at DreamGardensJLM. The Dream Gardens podcast is available through iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, please comment, share, or subscribe. And until next time, keep dreaming, keep growing, and keep reading. Dream.